Hi everyone, and welcome to another Bible study here at One Love Live at Love Walk, and I am your host, Lila Winston. I pray that you are well and that God is blessing in your life. As you know, we come together to read and study in the Word of God so that we can practically apply it, and also so that we can discover the purpose of our lives and enact that in the earth. And so I'm so glad that you've joined me today. I hope that you have been growing, that you have been studying your Bible for yourself, um, and that you have been uh, really discovering your purpose uh, and finding ways to um, serve that purpose to the world. And so today, uh, as you know, guys, we are on a series and we're continuing uh, on part two of that series on first fruits. We are talking about the first fruits of the spirit, the first fruits of the spirit. This is something that is talked about in Galatians uh, chapter five, verse 22. I know we don't really speak about it that much. Um, there's a lot of talk about many things from purpose to gifts to anointing to <laughs> you name it, right? To going to hell even, right? There's a lot of stuff out there that we can talk about and those things are all fine. They're all very important for you to know and understand. There's various series and Bible studies here at One Love Live where you can find out about those things as well. But guys, as I promised, we are going to delve into the gifts of the Spirit. I feel that these are foundational to our walk as believers. So let's go ahead and jump into part two of First Fruits. And just like we did with the talent series and also with the calling series, we're just going to kind of go sequentially uh, as they are listed here. This is in no particular order. Okay, so don't think that I'm saying that meekness is more important than joy or joy is more important than, you know, gentleness, whatever. I'm just going in the order um, that it is listed here in the Bible. So go ahead and grab your Bible. We're going to read our anchor text, which is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 22. Three. So I'll get started. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. Now, today we're going to be talking about love and you guys know this Bible study is called Love Walk. It is the in-depth study of love and it's all of its applications and all of the ways that it impacts our life. And, um, you know, you can find out more about why I call this Bible study Love Walk in some of our uh, earlier Bible studies. But we, the focus of this Bible study today is love and the focus of uh, the entire Bible study Love Walk is love as well. So this is one of my favorite subjects to talk about. But because we do talk about love a lot on this podcast, on this in this Bible study, you can find various Bible studies here that go into depth about very various aspects of love. But today we're going to uh, sort of dig into it as a spiritual gift, right? Love as a spiritual gift. So some things I want you to understand about fruits of the spirit before we step into this Bible study is that fruits of the spirit sort of are more demonstrated in your relationships and the way that you interact with people uh, and the ways that you have to correct how you interact with people uh, in terms of fairness, in terms of goodness and being, you know, authentic. These are the ways in which we interact with people and we do this every day. And so there is no person on this earth who could not benefit from the fruits of the spirit. And most certainly there is no believer who could not benefit from the fruits of the spirit. So I want you to understand that fruits of the spirit are sort of relational, right? They deal with the soil of the heart. Because when we talk about fruit, 
then you have to talk about soil and you have to talk about seeds you talk about a gestation period and the growth of the plant and then it has to be such a robust plant that it can produce fruit the next thing is that there is a relationship between the soil and the seed and i want to sort of uh, position that to be a relationship between your heart and god's word so the fruit of the spirit are sort of an illustration or a, a relationship between your heart and god's word the effect that his word is having on your heart on on you right? And then of course, it is about your relationship with the gardener. Well, who is the gardener? The gardener is God. So it really is a reflection of how you are kind of interacting with God. You know, a lot of people try to evidence these things, you know, in their walk with their family, but sometimes not with God. Like God is going to need you to use that same temperance, that same love. You know, we, we are often taught we need to have love toward God, but we're not taught that we have to have goodness toward God or joy toward God or even temperance. So I think these are important keys that we want to demonstrate not just in our horizontal relationships but also in our vertical relationship with God and then finally I think it's important that it also talks about our relationship with with rain when you talk about plants and growth you know what is what is raining down on you what is refreshing you what is bringing you life what is bringing you joy and so that that witness that we have that helps us to keep moving in the body of Christ I think these are important parts of how we overcome and I always believe they're important parts of what we do and that's why I try to share sometimes some things from my own experience because maybe it will give you courage to keep moving forward in your Christian walk so I want you to understand the fruits of the spirit spring from a well of a well-watered soul, okay? These are important concepts because our willingness to yield to the written word is a demonstration of the quality of our relationship with the gardener, right? The gardener being God. A believer who disregards God's word on theft, but it actually heeds it on adultery, still has a ways to go in his or her, her relationship with God. And so how we adhere and obey demonstrates how we feel about God. There is a great verse in Jeremiah that actually speaks to this and I'm going to pluck it out. It's Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 9 to 10. If you have a chance, maybe you can read it and meditate on it. I'll read it briefly here. It says, will ye still murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and burn incense unto Baal and walk after other gods whom you know not and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name? and say we are delivered to do all of these abominations right he's saying are you going to do all of these terrible things and then come before me and pray and say oh god has freed us to be able to do whatever kind of abomination we are we are delivered we have grace to do all of these horrible abominations god is saying what kind of relationship do you think that is and i want you to consider that when you think about some of the relationships you have in your own life and what you would be willing or not willing to tolerate and whether you would call that a good relationship or not i think you have to kind of apply the same kind of logic when it comes to god right it's why some doctrines of grace are kind of antithetical to a real relationship with god and only by producing real fruit of the spirit would want to even know that you see you can't trample the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ by consistent infractions without it implying something about how you actually feel and interact with God and about the influence of the Holy Ghost in your life as it says in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4 and 6 I really think it speaks deeply 
uh, to this idea of cheap grace that sometimes we see is overwhelming in our world. You know, no one can judge me. I do my own thing. God is the only one. And it's just kind of wild. Some of the things that people do using this kind of cheap grace, right? It's kind of, it kind of a form of power, but it denies the power of the gift of the uh, fruits of the spirit. And so it's not possible to actually have true grace if you don't acknowledge these fruits of the spirit, right? I'm not saying that God can't give grace, but are you really living within that if you don't understand the empowerment of the fruits of the spirit? Let's look briefly at Hebrews chapter six, verse four and six. It says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the power powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves, the son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. I think we don't even think about putting God to an open shame when we talk about this cheap grace that doesn't take into account the uh, spiritual fruit that are evidenced in our lives that make, you know, kind of riffing off of grace or doing whatever you want off of grace just simply impossible. Grace is not licensed to behave in ways that contradict the fruits of the spirit. This is so critical. And if you if you don't study this fruit to the spirit, you will think that, you know, some of this cheap grace that we see out in the world actually makes sense. But if you understand that a real relationship with God includes this fruit of the spirit, you'll understand it's practically impossible, right? It's practically impossible not to make mistakes, but to just kind of be flippant about it and say, oh, well, grace is covering that, right? Grace covers everything, right? And I'm not saying grace doesn't. Please under, don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is there's this kind of license to kind of act and behave in ways that it is just uh, goes against the fruit of the spirit. You can't uh, sort of advocate grace and still go against the fruit of the spirit, if that makes any sense. In fact, fruit of the spirit makes sloppy grace impossible in believers. Just think about that, right? So we cannot use God's grace to justify a life that's lived without the fruit of the spirit. If there's no evidence of temperance, of joy, of love, of these things, then we have to start asking questions about like, well, what kind of life is, is actually being lived and what kind of relationship does one have with a father? I want to go back to Galatians chapter five, verse 22. And I want to note that this fruit that we are studying is the fruit of love. And that's in Galatians five twenty-two. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, right? Therefore, we endeavor to understand and learn about the most influential source of internal power. And that's absolutely important when we think about the fruit of the spirit. This series attempts to do so in some small measure. Notice in our anchor text that the first fruit is listed as love. It is the bedrock of our relationship with God. And I would argue it is the bedrock of God's relationship with us, because if it were not for that love, he would not have given his only begotten son to save us. So love is absolutely super important. And so faith is also listed because without it, we cannot please God. That's absolutely critical. I think it's also notable that faith and love are listed in uh, the, the beginning or first verse here. So let us go ahead and look at love, right? Like I said, we're not going to go as in depth as we have in the past because there's various Bible Bible studies here that talk about love, which you can pick up in way more detail. But let us look at the gift of love. I'm sorry, the fruit of love. Let us remember it is the fruit of love. So 
the the concept of love is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 22 verse 2 regarding the sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham. Okay, that's the first time that we ever see the word love in the Bible. And I think it is important that the first introduction to love in the Bible is between a father and a son. And perhaps that is not a coincidence because we are sons of God. Remember that we learned that in, you know, that God is our inheritance. This is an important concept that a father's love is toward his son or his sons. And we see that relationship between ourselves as part of the lineage of God. We're actually part of his lineage. I'm not just saying that guys, it's actually written in the Bible. Okay. And in this examination of love, we will not make differentiations in kinds of love in the way that the Greeks did. I just want to put that on the table right now. So you can get that out of the way. You won't hear me say agape. You won't hear me say phileo or eros or any of those other things. And the reason we're not going to do that is because we don't want to bring in any notions of love that did not exist in the Hebrew context, which God helped to design, right? So the concept of love behind that in the Hebrew context, it is kind of God designed. It's more God designed than what we see in the Greek context. And that is not any uh, shade on the Greeks, but the Greeks definitely believed in different kinds of love because they were a society uh, that engaged in a lot of sexual acts and sort of amorous love with various kinds of things and people and things and animals and that was considered okay in that culture right so we cannot use their idea of love to sort of describe the love of the god of the hebrews and so we're going to attempt to be faithful um, and have fidelity toward that concept, right? So we're going to uh, bypass agape, okay? And phileo and all that lovely stuff. Love is an enormous topic and it is a concept in my own personal estimation that is absolutely critical to every believer. I think that the scripture confirms this by sort of citing that God is love. So this is kind of telling us something very critical about the importance of love, the power of love and what that means. And this means love is almost unfathomable and uniquely divine in ways that we cannot fully wrap our heads and hearts around in the same way that God cannot fully be explained or understood. And I say this because the Bible says that God is love and you cannot fully understand God. If there's someone out there who tells you that they can run from that person, okay, just keep running, okay? But we can learn about God, we can know more about God, but we can't fully understand him. And so if God is love, that means that love is such an encompassing and, and huge thing that we may never t truly understand it, at least not on this plane, right? It is for this reason that this entire ministry is dedicated to the exploration and the demonstration of love. So it acknowledges from the outset, okay, that this examination of love is limited and for the purpose of setting groundwork among the fruits of the spirit, right? I cannot you know, be more clear about this. However, I also want to note here that of all the gifts of the spirit, the scripture says that there are no laws against any of the fruits of the spirit. This is absolutely great. I think this is a wonderful point and this is very important point too, because it means that there is nothing to prohibit your demonstration and actualization of love, joy, peace, temperance, 
meekness, long-suffering, goodness, and faith. That means that there are no laws which we must keep or that are within the earth that forbid these gifts of the spirit. There's no natural law. There's no physical law. There's no godly law against the spiritual fruit. Remember that. Now, does that mean that a wicked leader cannot make some sort of law against goodness? Like nobody can be good. (laughs) That would be weird, but sure, he can do that or she can do that. But there are no natural or spiritual laws, which all men understand and acknowledge through the conscience that can deny these fruits. So for instance, theft is known as wickedness around the world despite the differences of religion language or even culture and this is because humans have been made to have a conscience which is a law of what is right and what is wrong and even paul speaks to this in romans chapter 2 verse 15 let that be your proof text everybody gets it don't let anybody tell you they don't get whether something is right or wrong because god gave it to them humans intrinsically know what is evil or wrong because they have an internal direction so when galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23 says there is no law it means if anyone lives in in these sort of spiritual fruits the human conscience could not even convict them about it right like even the human conscience couldn't say oh man you're you're doing something bad because you're being good to me or you're being nice to me or you you love me right no one's going to say oh i hate you because you love me right you did right by me right and not in their hearts truly because they understand it in their mind so when we look at love we see it is listed first and that is why we are going to it first it is an important aspect of the way in which we conduct our lives and how we treat god ourselves and others paul says we can be a success in every other way but if we lack love we have failed now that's said in first corinthians chapter 13 verse 1 and 4 and that's pretty stark that's pretty hard that's just pretty harsh right like what if i'm doing everything right what if i feel like i did everything right but i simply don't have love paul is telling us it doesn't matter how right you do all those other things love is the principal thing it's the key to making all of those things matter that you've done so love is therefore the king maker remember that love is royal and love is the king maker i want you to look at what jesus christ said about all the laws and all the prophets in matthew chapter 22 verse 37 and 40 he's literally talking about how every law every commandment he ever put out could be hung on love how you love god how you love yourself and how you love others so if love is now the foundation of our life as believers in christ and royal priests We see it is then indispensable, right? It's indispensable. You cannot go a day without love. Showing it, receiving it from God, from others, giving it, right? So let us define love. And as I said, we're going to use the Hebrew way. So in the Hebrew, love or to love means literally to love, be beloved, like. It means to be a friend. It means an intense feeling of deep affection. It means intimacy. It means attachment. It means benevolence and great interest or pleasure in. That is what love means. So God has a great interest and pleasure in your existence. For God so loved the world, right? He's such a 
friend to you. He's such a uh, deep, has such deep affection and intimacy with you. He does not want you to go away. Hebrew word, the Hebrew word for love is ahab. And it's a word used for all manner of love, right? They have different conjugations and whatnot, but it's the same word for every love that you can think of. So love is a royal law according to James chapter 2 verse 8. This means love is a law unto itself, right? It communicates boundaries. It communicates care and principles in its actualization. In other words, there are some things that love will not do. That is so key, right? And there are some things that love will most certainly do if it is present. It is also notable that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, our anchor text, love is defined as spiritual. And I want you to really grab this. It is not a thing that is found in the heart or mind alone, right? Therefore, love is not purely logical or subjective in natural terms. Instead, it is something that is entirely supernatural. And this is why love is a fruit of the spirit and not just the heart or the intellect or even the emotions. So you can have great feelings and you can have great thoughts about someone, but it's important to understand that love is spiritual and it is having an effect on your emotions and on your spirit, right? And on your heart. And we are steadily learning in science that food, and I think this is really important because I think a lot of times we overlook these facts, but we are learning in science that food, hormones, and other kinds of outside and external stimuli and internal stimuli can influence the emotions and the mood. This means emotions, while valuable sources of information, cannot be the house of love. Okay, remember that your emotions can't house love because they are highly uh, influenceable, right? They can be influenced even by something that you eat, right? They were beautiful and pretty. You ate something, you got mad. He was the most wonderful man in the world until you, you were in labor, right? Something is influencing your emotions, right? And so it's important to understand that even external sources can have influence on our emotions. And because we understand this, Love cannot be an emotion. It cannot be, uh, it cannot be housed in an emotion. In fact, service, uh, uh, science is actually showing us that even poor gut health can lead to depression, irritability, anxiety, and other kinds of moods and emotional problems. So what that means is if you're not eating good food, you're eating all kinds of stuff, or maybe you're eating things that shouldn't go together. You know, there's all kinds of science out there. You're eating things that you shouldn't be eating that's not good for your particular body. Then that can influence your moods, your emotions. And so if we house love in emotions only, then we stand to be deceived, right? Conversely, good gut health can lead to excellent moods, as well as the ingestion of certain kinds of vitamins that can boost your mood. So even though emotions are a big part of, you know, our physical interface with the outside world, we have to remember that love is an inside job that speaks more properly to the internal workings of the inside world of the spirit, right? What's going on there? Love is supernatural. It is above and beyond the context 
of the natural world. I want you to note something in Mark chapter 12, verse 33. It says, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Oh my God, that's just so huge. It's telling us that love is more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, soul, and spirit, and with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is actually better than sacrifices and offerings and this is the kind of love that god seeks for us when we love him and to him that is more worthy and it is most worthy in fact in the song of solomon it tells us that love has more value than riches and obviously i would have to say it does based simply on the sacrifice of christ because i could have all the riches in the world and still split hell wide open and still go to hell if god didn't love me he didn't have to save me but because of love i am saved riches wealth in time it happens to all men maybe not everyone but you have had some measure of joy in wealth or money or riches so who's to say tomorrow you won't be a billionaire but love is something that that is indispensable. It can save your very eternal life. I want to show you what it says in the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 7. It says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all of the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly contemned. And that is absolutely true. You could give millions and billions of dollars, but you can't buy true love. True love comes from the spirit. It comes from that internal part where someone has an absolute interest in you for good and absolute um, desire to do you well, right? An affection and an intimacy to see that you are well in every sense. This cannot be bought, right? It cannot be bought. I mean, if people could buy it, believe me, they would. You can buy companionship. You can buy sex. You can buy friendship. You can buy some affection, but love? No, that can't be bought. And that is so important about love is because love always finds a way. That is what I love so much about love is that love will go through brick walls. It will go over oceans. It will go to hell, literally go to hell and back for you because love is God. Love is spiritual and it is beyond our own understanding. It is beyond our logical mind. So love always finds a way because it is absolutely invested in the good of the beloved. And we see that demonstrated in the sacrifice on the cross and in our own command to love our neighbor as ourselves in Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. There's actually a Bible study here called Love Always Finds a Way, and it really illustrates how love pursues the beloved with good. I hope you'll check that Bible study out, but let's look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. It says, And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so we learn that love is a care for someone or something that inspires great acts of both generosity and kindness, as well as sacrifice and correction. And so if you are going to dare to love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to have to demonstrate that 
toward yourself, great care for yourself, great care and acts of generosity, right? For yourself, kindness for yourself. Because let me tell you, if you don't know how to be kind to yourself, you will not know how to be kind, truly kind to others. Love is not a small thing. And it is the most integral part of our spiritual gifts. But like any fruit, love can be big or small. This is just a fact, right? I'm not trying to make it seem like an oxymoron. It's the truth. Love can be big or small. And if you look at most of the fruits of the spirit, and I would argue this, and I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but they can be large or small. Gifts of the spirit, are, I'm sorry, fruits of the spirit can be large or small, just like any fruit on a tree. You might have a small apple, you might have a big apple, you might have a big peach, <laughs> you know, or a smaller one. So it's important to understand that. And as always, I do want to prove that concept, right, in scripture. So let's look at Luke chapter 7, verse 47. It says, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. So there is a there is a possibility, there is a concept of loving more or less. And unfortunately, this is littered all throughout the Bible as well, where we see even uh, certain, the patriarch, loving one son more than another. We know what got Joseph in trouble. His father loved him more. Okay, it is absolutely possible. Even Jesus Christ underscored this principle as it pertains to love and forgiveness. And yes, it is possible. And then just, you need to know to love a little or to love a lot. And it's possible to love one person a little, another person a lot. I know this is not good. This Maybe this doesn't fit with theology. Unfortunately, it's in the Bible, okay? So, you know, don't get mad at me. Go to the Bible, talk to God, right? And I want to show you this also in Genesis chapter 29 and 30 with uh, the patriarchs, right? So we think about Rachel, right? Jacob and Rachel, you know, and we talk, think about how, you know, he has fallen in love with her. And we see this, this sort of juxtaposition between a great love and a small love. Look at Genesis chapter 29, verse 30. It says, and he went, all, he went in also unto Rachel and he loved also Rachel more than Leah and served with him yet seven other years, Right. So if you read the story of uh, Jacob and Rachel, you'll see how that Jacob was absolutely smitten with Rachel. Like he loved this woman to the end of his core and Leah by no means could get between the two of them. No matter what she did, no matter how many babies she had, Jacob just loved Leah and it started out that way. And I think we have to really acknowledge something about the story of Rachel and Leah. And I have always thought this is a tragic story because Laban put Leah between Rachel and Jacob. And that was the unfortunate part. Leah should have been happy at home, eating bonbons, you know, getting calls from her sister telling her, you know, what it was like being in the second trimester. Like, right? She should not have been in that family, <laughs> technically, right? God worked that for good. But Leah really should have been, people don't even talk about Leah, you know, further on down in the scriptures, right? You know, because Leah kind of was put in there by Laban, who was a really ornery man. If you read the story of uh, Jacob, Rachel, Leah and Laban. So Laban kind of put Leah between Rachel and Jacob. And the result was a, uh, a is, I think, a warning to all of us. Right. 
it's a warning not to get between someone's love, right? Just get away from it. If you see two people in love, leave them there, right? We will only ever be able to be sidestepped in the end. And that's really what happens when people try to get between the love between, you know, a, a man and a woman, the love between, you know, two friends, the love between, you know, um, siblings. You're, you're kind of stepping into something that's bigger than you, right? You don't want to do that. And so I, I really underscore this because I my heart really goes out to Leah, right? The story of Rachel and Leah to me is almost the story of mankind and how that Satan tried to get between us and God. Think about it. He just sort of threw a monkey wrench in there, right? Like Leah wasn't supposed to be there and Satan tried to get between us and God. We are the image of God. We were something that God was proud of and he loved so very much. But he couldn't get between God's love and us. That is what is important to understand. And we see that because God went to the farthest lengths to buy us back with his blood because of love, as it is written in John 3.16. So the measure and breadth and depth of love is beyond knowing, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? You see, love cannot be quantified, nor can you truly divide someone from someone that they love. It's just not possible as we see with God and us. He went to the farthest lengths to get his beloved, which was us. He went to the farthest lengths in the same way that Jacob went to the farthest lengths to get Rachel. And when he got Rachel, he was good to Leah, but that wasn't his target. That wasn't his goal. His goal was always Rachel. And God's goal has always been us as his image bearers, right? So true love from God, regardless of its size, demands that we always treat others well and to their highest good. For example, you may not risk your life to give a stranger your kidney, but you might do that for a spouse or for your child. However, you must love the stranger enough not to do him or her any harm or steal from them or whatever that may be. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 13, verse 10. It says, love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Think about that. Love fulfills the law. You want to fulfill the law? You want to hit every single commandment there? Dare to love. That is why we always work on our love walk, right? Romans chapter 13, Tid is perhaps the most basic demonstration and definition of love. You can say that you can't say that you have love and treat people badly or disregard people's wishes and feelings or lie, cheat, and steal. The fruit of the Spirit, love, should inform you of better ways to conduct yourself and the inner life of the heart. And we know we have fulfilled the law if we love others, not in word only, but in deed and in heart. So the easiest way to understand love, Jesus gave to us in Romans chapter 13, that helps us see that we can keep all of the laws and all of the prophets simply by doing two things. And that is loving God with all of your heart, mind, spirit, and strength, and loving your neighbor in the same manner that you would want to be loved. So Romans chapter 13, 9 says something, It says, For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, 
And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. All of those commandments, just love your neighbor like yourself. Love is not hard to understand. It's just hard to do, right? (laughs) Because it requires fidelity to the principle of love in all aspects of our lives. In happy times, angry times, business deals, sadness, arguments, relationships, marriage, confrontation with children, and so much more. So let us recap what we know about the spiritual fruit of love. One, it is produced from the spirit. Two, love can be a little bit or a lot. Three, the fruit of the spirit is about relationships, your relationship with God, your relationship with mankind, your relationship with yourself. Four, grace does not eradicate the need for the fruit of love or any fruit to the spirit. Five, you cannot get between the love of two. Just remember that. Never try and do it. Don't try and get between the love of God and his child. Don't be t- get try to get between the love of a man and a woman. Don't, be tr- don't try to get between the love of a parent and their child, right? Love is also a boundary. That's number seven. And uh, I might have skipped, but you cannot separate believers from Christ's love because love is a boundary, right? And love is a bond, right? So remember that love is a boundary and spiritual fruit keeps us from doing and behaving in ways that dishonor others, ourselves, and God. And then eight, love does not harm others. It doesn't harm people. It's not going around doing bad things. People who say they have love and they go around doing bad things to others, got to start asking questions and they can't just chalk that up on grace and then love is defined as deep care interest and benevolence toward another even worship right 10 since it is a fruit it can grow to be big or small how you choose to grow your love is your own affair 11 love requires fidelity to the principle of love in all situations and at all times So love isn't something you just practice with family or maybe you just practice with friends. It's something that you practice every day. That's why I call it a love walk because there's nowhere you go if you are an ambulatory human being that you don't walk. You even walk to your car. You might drive somewhere, but you got to walk to your car. You got to walk to your desk when you go to work. You got to walk to the water cooler to gossip. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But seriously, love, right, requires you to walk it out in everyday life, okay? And then 12, love encompasses all of the fruits of the spirit. If you can practice love and you've got all of those other fruits, right? Love is the principal thing. God is love. So even if we fail to fully understand all of the fruits of the spirit, we may always understand love and its grandiose, godly application. I pray that you are well and God continues to bless in your life. Don't forget, you can find resources at lovewalk.substack.com as well as Bible studies that you can share with your Bible group and other believers. And I want to ask you to share those Bible studies that you feel blessed you, right? And if you want to bless me, you can also support at paypal.me forward slash 
L-E-L-A-W-I-N-S-T-O-N. That's paypal.me forward slash Leela Winston. And I want to thank you so much. I pray that you continually grow in your walk with the Lord and in your love walk. God bless you. Bye. Thank you for being a part of the One Love Live Love Walk Bible Study. I appreciate you. But perhaps you've stumbled onto this Bible study and you're not yet become a believer. I want to encourage you to take the time to accept the Lord Christ into your life. I want you to know that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that the Lord Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. If you can go ahead with me, close your eyes and pray. Oh Lord, I pray right now that you would forgive me of my sins. I will repent of my sins right now. That is, I will turn away from all the sins that I have done from before until now. And I want to seek to follow you. Lord, open my eyes and my heart to your truth. I accept you into my heart as my Lord and Savior. And I accept the Holy Spirit as the comforter and guide in my life. Continue to lead me. And I thank you so much for hearing my prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you prayed that prayer, then you are now a believer. And I want you to believe in your heart. And if you have a chance, reach out to me and let me know that you receive the Lord. There's ways that you can contact me if you look in the description of this Uh, Bible study. And I look forward to hearing from you and helping you on your love walk. Don't forget to sign up for our devotional emails so that you can be encouraged in your faith and grow. God bless you.